Hey, uh, good morning. Good morning. Enough of all this uh, fellowship. Stop, stop enjoying one another. <laughs> Welcome to those who are at uh, home online or wherever you are watching. Uh, this is really the turning point of the story of, of Joseph. It's when it starts to get really exciting and um, because God's starting to deal with uh, his brothers and with his own heart. So let's pray. So again, we're just doing really long passages. Uh, it gives me confidence that at least uh, five or seven minutes of the message will be perfect. <laughs> let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your mercies. We ask you to instruct us with your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you look at one another? And he said, Behold, I have heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there that we may live and not die. So ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with his brothers, for he feared that harm might happen to him. Thus the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Now Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Where do you come from, he said. They said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. And Joseph remembered the dreams he had, dreamed of them, and he said to them, You are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. And they said to him, No, my Lord, your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. We are honest men. Your servants have never been spies. He said to them, No, it is the nakedness of the land that you have come to see. And they said, We, your servants, are twelve brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and one is no more. But Joseph said to them, It is as I said to you, you are spies. By this you shall be tested. By the life of Pharaoh, you shall not go from this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you and let him bring your brother while you remain confined that your words may be tested whether there is truth in you or else by the life of Pharaoh surely you are spies and he put them all together in custody for three days. On the third day Joseph said to them do this and you will live for I fear God. If you are honest men let one of your brothers remain confined where you are in custody, and let the rest go and carry grain for the famine of your households. And bring your youngest brother to me. So your words will be verified, and you shall not die. And they said, and they did so. They said to one another, In truth, we are guilty concerning our brother, and that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us, and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them, Did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? But you did not listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. 
They did not know that Joseph understood them, for there was an interpreter between them. Then he turned away from them and wept. And he returned to them and spoke to them. And he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. And Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain and to replace every man's money in his sack and to give them provisions for the journey this was done for them. Then they loaded their donkeys with their grain and departed. And as one of them opened his sack to give his donkey fodder at the lodging place, he saw his money in the mouth of the sack, and he said to his brothers, My money has been put back. Here it is in the mouth of the sack. At this their hearts were failed them, and they turned trembling to one another, saying, What is this that God has done to us? When they came to Jacob, their father, in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to him, saying, The man, the Lord of the land, spoke roughly to us and took us to be spies. But we said to him, We are honest men. We have never been spies. We are twelve brothers, sons of our father. One is no more, and the youngest is this day with our father in the land of Canaan. Then the man, the Lord of the land, said to us, By this I shall know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers with me. And take grain for the famine of your households and go your way. Bring your youngest brother to me. Then I shall know that you are not spies but honest men. And I will deliver your brother to you and you shall trade in the land. As they emptied their sacks, behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when they and their fathers saw their bundles of money, they were afraid and Jacob, their father, said to him, You have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more, and now you would take Benjamin? All this has come against me. Then Reuben said to his father, Kill my two sons if I do not bring them back to you. Put them in my hands, and I will bring them back to you. But he said, My son shall not go with you, for his brother is dead, and he is the only one left. If harm should happen to him on the journey that you are to make, he would bring my gray hairs down to, with sorrow to Shul. Well, there's a lot going on in this passage, and there's a lot going on in your life, and there's a lot going on in the world. And the fact of the matter is we don't understand any of it. With the exception of this one thing, God is after your heart. That's something you always know. God wants your heart. So the fulfillment of the promise begins coming true by exposing truth about you. God wants your heart. So when he fulfills his promise, when it begins to come true, he starts exposing the truth about you and about me. And that's what he does to Joseph's brothers. And that's what we'll look at today. Let's take a look at famine um, and fulfillment. And then we'll take a look at grace and guilt. Well, we're starting to see literally eyes opened in this passage. That's what happens when famine comes. We learn in the Hebrew that jo- uh, excuse me, Jacob saw. Our text says he learned, but he became aware. 
And it's uh, undoubtedly a signal that he is uh, going to, he's at the verge, the sun is rising, if you will, on the whole story of this last probably 15 years of his life of sorrow and deceit. So he heard and saw, he understood that there was in one place hope in the midst of the famine that had covered the whole known world at the time. So he sends. And what does he send for? Well, he sends for grain. And remember what was the first dream about? Well, the first dream was about grain. It was about stalks of grain. You can see the tension embedded in it. It's, it's hard to um, understand exactly what's going on when he looks at his sons and says, why do you just stare at each other? Uh, I guess it's, it's slightly possible that it's some uh, cultural idiom that's not a total diss, but I find it hard to believe that. I think we've got a hurting old man in a family whose trust has dissolved, really started with him. He wasn't super straightforward guy himself. And all this tension is going to get undone. Because God is after all these hearts. He's not simply after feeding people, and he's not only after proving his promise true. As we'll see, he orchestrates this whole thing so that he exposes what's in their hearts. And that's undoubtedly what he's doing for you and me right now. I, I don't know exactly which ways he's going to use. I don't know the end of the story. I don't really understand the moment of the story I'm in. But I do know this, God wants my heart. And he wants your heart. And he's always after that. So um, this fulfillment begins in secret. So there's this tension when famine and fulfillment come together, when, when God is undoing what we've done in our own sin, there's this tension between Jacob seeing something, God exposing the world to the fulfillment of his purpose, but then this beautiful, thematic, profound um, language, this verse that is sort of the pivoting anchor of the whole story of Joseph now, Joseph was the governor of the land, the one who sold grain to all his people. When Joseph's brothers arrived, they fulfilled the dream that Joseph had had way back at the beginning of this whole story. They bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. And no one but Joseph understands what's going on. No one but the promised son realizes what's happening. And in this very significant moment for the purpose of trying to see that God wants to not just vindicate um, his promise or provide rep retribution for our sin, but he wants our hearts. In this story, Joseph does not do what he did the first time. There's no aha. There's no suckers. You know, there's no nothing. There's no moment that I would have relished to expose their sin and their folly and vindicate my righteousness and victimhood. It's all done in secret. He pretends, we're told, he pretends to be a stranger. 
Well, that's interesting because the brothers treated him like a stranger. So in, in many ways, it's like letting them define the relationship. He's like, hey, I will just act like an alien. I will act like an Egyptian. I will not let you know. But what we're finding out here as um, we are uh, seeing God expose hearts is something we've already found out that it seems that God has already worked in Joseph's heart. God has been doing work in Joseph's heart for this whole time. Remember the, the change um, between Mr. Know Exactly What All of My Dreams Mean and I'm Eager to Tell You to, well, it's God who interprets dreams. Mr. I'm going to become a uh, ruler of my family and of the nations to the one who became a servant, uh, first of Potiphar, then of prisoners, and now of Pharaoh. And what's happening in this account is that instead of bringing the heat, which he'll do in a minute, in a, in a subtle, progressive way, instead of exposing their sin, instead of convicting um, in a fashion prematurely, God wants their hearts too. And he's going to orchestrate this whole account in a way that exposes their hearts and gives them their self, self-understanding. Uh, my daughter once asked me, um, you know, she's a preacher's kid, so she gets up close and sees, you know, all the stuff that's going on, the good, the bad, the ugly. You know, if you ever think you want the New Testament church, uh, congratulations, we've still got the New Testament church. Read the epistles. It's a mess. Um, it's just the way the church is. And she goes, Dad, what was the... What was, the hardest mo- what was the hardest part of your ministry? And in this moment of, of accidental honesty, and it wasn't humility because I was immediately incredibly proud of myself coming up with the answer. <laughs> I just looked there and I said, well, I th- it was me. That was the hardest part of my ministry. You know, I, I know some folks here all of us at some point have been really wounded, some ferociously by evil people. It's not what I'm speaking of. I'm not saying that that's not evil. I'm saying that when God's working with you and your heart, in a fashion, you're the only person in the room. He's working with you and your heart. And so when my daughter asked me that and I blurted out, I guess it was me and wanted to immediately take it back and provide some other names of people that that really were the hardest, you know, it was a a moment when when God was was finding my heart, which is what God wants to find with you. He wants you to understand um, that he's with you, exploring your heart. And that's going to take grace and guilt. I don't know how else in the Bible, and I don't know how else in 30 years of pastoral ministry, and I don't know how else in, uh, let's see, what am I doing, Uh, over 40 years of walking with Christ, I don't know how else God gets to my heart without putting me in this vice of guilt and grace, where he exposes me personally and says, I'll deal with all the other sinners in your life. But right now I want you, Michael, 
So the very first way he does that in this passage is um, that when grace meets guilt, it challenges our story. And you can see that happening when Joseph will have none of their story. It's interesting, their story is true. I mean, they're brothers, right? And they've come to get food. So all that's true. But, but Joseph understands what they don't understand is that really for the last whatever decade plus, their story has been one lie every day, all day through the whole course of, of their experience. And so Joseph says, where are you from? We're from Canaan. No, you're spies. He exposes and pressures them. That is, you're liars, your enemies, your deceivers. That's what it means to be a spy. To be, to be cloaked in deceit, but to be in the presence of others. That's what they've done to Jacob for all these years. That's what they did to Joseph for all this time. So he, he speaks to them harshly. And I would say this, um, Jesus did say, come to me all you are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest for my yoke is easy and my burden is light and I am meek and lowly. But read the New Testament and you will find that he also speaks to his disciples sometimes harshly, sternly. And he may well do that to you often through his providence. So he starts to draw out this, when grace and guilt meet our hearts, that challenges our story, and he starts to draw it out. No, your servants have come to buy food. We are all the sons of one man. Your servants are honest men and not spies. And imagine hearing them say that And if you're Joseph. You, you know that they are all sons, but you know there's more sons involved. You know that um, they're supposed to be servants, but they're not servants. And you know that they're not honest men. And he's, he's drawing their story out. He's in, in a fashion God often um, extrapolates and helps and has us sort of underline and boldface and italicize our rationalizations and our accounts and our stories, um, not because he's uh, against us, but because he's for us. And he wants to expose the depth of our sins so he can immediately show us the heights of his grace. You know, God is so good that he is for you even when he's against you. That's how good God is. And that's what he's doing here. Your servants are 12 brothers. He says again, know your spies are 12 brothers, the son of one man. We lived in Canaan. They're going on. The youngest is now with us and one is no more. Can you see how he's drawn out? They've had to come to terms and tell the whole story. They don't know who. They don't tell it completely. It's certainly not honest, but now they um, admit that there's another child and that there's one child who's, interestingly, with us no more. So my question to you is, um, what's your story? What is your story? And if you're like me, you're very good at telling your story. These guys are pretty good at telling. These guys' stories would work perfectly if they weren't telling it to the one person who knew that it's not true. 
So my story would work perfectly if Jesus didn't know it's not true. Mark Twain said when he was young, his memory was so good that he could remember stuff whether it happened or not. (laughs) That's true of every sinner. It's true of everyone in this room. By the time we retell our story and refine our story and reassure ourselves about our story, we actually believe our story. And God um, could tell you right now that your story is false. And he probably is, maybe even in this moment by his spirit. But he wants more than your shame. He wants your heart. And that's why when grace and guilt meet in pursuit of the heart, they challenge our story and then they awaken our guilt. This is another one of the beautiful, powerful scenes. It's just as I told you, you are spies, he said. And he tested them. And as Pharaoh lives, and he goes on to tell him the youngest brother uh, needs to come back. And um, he's just unconvinced. He turns up the heat, and the brothers start to feel it. In this beautiful scene where the brothers uh, start to tell one another, immediately they start to do the providential promise math, don't they? They're like, oh, we're reliving this. This is because of that. You know, most of us have to tell this story to ourselves because we don't have a cohort of sinners with us. But our conscience is always poking us. Our conscience never sleeps. Well, unless it's drunk or knocked out or whatever we do to it. Seared. And they feel that. And then there's division among them. First there's guilt. Oh no, this is because of that. And then Reuben says, I told you about that. What I would have you um, know is that if you understand Christ, those emerging feelings of guilt, shame, and alienation that these brothers exhibit, those feelings are actually your friends. Guilt and shame for your sin, if you let them hold your hands and lead you to the cross, are actually your friends. You have immunity against the virus of shame and guilt. If you would only use it, if you would only let God challenge your story and expose your sin. And the brothers truly feel the heat. You know that great Toy Story line, oh no, now I have guilt, you know? Um, well, you, you, guilt's never fun, uh, but you, you can also say, oh good, now I have guilt. God has pursued me and challenged my story. And, and now he's, I know what to do with guilt. I know what to do with guilt. I turn from guilt and I go to Jesus. Guilt is a signpost. 
So you have a story and you're probably spending a fair bit of energy um, convincing yourself it's true. Um, suppressing what you know to be true about God. It's a lot of energy. It's ultimately futile because God is pursuing your heart and if he loves you, he'll find it. And trust me, you want him to love you. You want him to love you. You do not want God to leave you and your heart alone. This is not something that you want. You want him to pursue you relentlessly. How do you know when he's pursuing you? Well, your own story becomes less compelling. You, you realize that it's not a good story. Have you ever written something and then gone back to it a long time later and thought, I do that. I wrote these sermons originally in 2001, and so basically every Tuesday morning I do that now. I go back to the notes and I'm like, did I really say that? Well, that's what, when God starts to awaken your heart, that's what you start to do with your own story. And it leads to distress. And no one likes distress. I don't like distress. But God can use it. Because there's one, this one thing that begins now and won't really end till later, but it begins now. The grace and guilt, when they pursue our heart, um, they challenge our story, they, they awaken our guilt, and then they send us back to our sin. If we're not ready to acknowledge our sin yet, then grace and guilt team up to send us back to our sin, and that's what happens in this masterful work of the shepherd Joseph and the power of God. Um, <laughs> Think of what happens. What happened when this whole thing started is that the brothers were sent out on a mission, okay? And then Joseph was sent to go check up on them. And, and then they came back with too much silver and too few brothers. Well, what happens right here? They're sent on a mission, and this time Joseph is ahead of them, and they don't know they're going to him. And, and Joseph doesn't believe their story, challenges it, awakens their guilt, but yet they're still not ready. Their hearts have not been captured yet. And so what does Joseph conceive of? Really still in love with them because he's still wounded. You can see his tears. He says to himself during those three days when they're all in prison. He's so remarkable. I would have been like, oh, I'd take a little prison. I had a lot more prison than three days. You guys think prison stuff? Talk to me about prison. No, Joseph's, I'll send them back. I'll send them back with too few brothers and too much silver. He's reenacted their entire sin pattern. 
right back to dad. With the same kind of story and the same evidence that something's terribly wrong that they're not willing to acknowledge and willing to admit. That's what God does to get to their hearts. So what do they go back with? This is what's so beautiful about God's tenderness with us and his severity. They go back with all the, stu- all the, all the um, wheat they came for. They, they go back with the silver they brought to pay for the wheat. They, they come back with stuff for their animals and provisions. Can you see how generous and kind Joseph is to them? And that's really probably what, what broke Joseph's heart. He's like, well, I can't keep him here forever. The, obviously, my family's starving. So, so God, in all these riches, sends these unrepentant sinners away. Because remember, being distressed and feeling guilty is not the same as being repentant. Have you noticed this? I've noticed it in my own life. And he sends them back with all this kindness. After all this distress and all this worry and still in the midst of it, they also have this evidence of this kindness and they bring it to Joseph, or excuse me, Jacob. And and Jacob will have none of it. You know, they're all scared. Why would you be scared if you had more money than you thought you had? Okay? Well, you'd be scared because you, you understand that you're dealing with a king and that you could be accused, as they will be later, of stealing. And, and Jacob sees right away what's going on and he'll have none of it. And that's really where I want, where I want this message to land for you. Because when Joseph would have none of it, when, when Joseph said, no, you're not going back. I've lost too much. I essentially don't trust you. I'm already going to go down to the grave to Sheol as a gray-haired, weeping man, and I'm not going to do it again, and I'm not going to do it more What should happen at that moment if the brothers have let God get to their heart? Well, they should repent. This was the first moment. This was the the moment when they could have acknowledged everything that happened. They've had every moment. For their whole life. They've surely had moments since they got to Egypt. And then this moment. But instead what do they do? Well now they got like at least 10 giant bags full of grain. Okay. And uh, some silver. And they just go back to their story. They go back to their normal. They go back to their evasion of their own moral, relational, covenantal reality. Until the grain is gone, which is what we find out in the next chapter. So here's, here's the, the awkward but hopeful conclusion of this message. Um, 
this room from the pulpit to the back is filled with brothers and sisters of the promised son. All of us with our own story. Most of us in this room, almost all of us in this room, have um, our homes and our lives and our bank accounts filled with some measure of the richness of the kindness of the provision of God. And all of us in some way, all of us have a story we're telling that's evading our sin. It's just part of who we are. But there are someone, some ones in this room for whom the weight of that is substantial and the guilt they know is acute and they have unfinished business with the Father. And if that is you, let God get to your heart and own it. Own it. Own it with your spouse. Own it with your parents. Own it with your child. Own it with your elders or your pastor. Because God wants your heart, and as horrifying as it might have been for these men to own it at that moment instead of eating up all the kindness of God, it will be better. You will never, ever regret giving God your heart. So I say to that person who needs to hear this this morning, no matter what is hidden, no matter how burdensome it is or will be to the people you love. God wants your heart. He wants it today. And you will not regret giving it to Him. So do so. I'm sure this community will be there for you when you do. Gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for your mercies. I ask you, please, Lord God, help us to be um, what we all know we want to be. We all know it's safe to be. We, we know it from your promise, but we don't know it in our hearts. And Help us own what we must. Give, um, giving our hearts to you, knowing that in time, even in the moment, we will see relief and we will know that we have done the right thing, but also done the best thing that leads to the most hope and joy and peace. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.